0: you <laughs>
1: Welcome. My name is Michael McDonnell. I am the Cybersecurity Librarian. Welcome to another one of our live streams. Tonight, our topic is threat intelligence. Um, We've got an exciting panel, and we've got some great material to discuss. Um, Before we start, I just want to give a shout-out to a new fellow cybersecurity professional, One of our former guests, Derek Bodnerchuk, just yesterday passed his CISSP exam. So, Derek, welcome to the profession. We're glad to have you, and I'm also glad to have uh, my partner in crime, Morrow. How you doing, Morrow? Pretty good. yourselves. Hey, everyone. Uh, I'm doing great. I'm very excited. Um, so this topic is is like the thing you've been pushing since before we started the live stream. Well, and we're finally admit, doing though, it.
2: it, it you're, it's near and dear to your heart. Let's face it. I mean, you know, when I met you, it's like uh, you, you you just kept on talking about cybersecurity. It's like, yes, Michael, it's very interesting. But what about this?
1: <laughs> um, once upon a time, in a job interview, someone said, "So, how do you keep up on current developments?" And I went on for about ten minutes describing systematically my process for um, curating, digesting, and synthesizing emerging information in cybersecurity, news, threat actors, threat intelligence. And then uh, just a few months ago, I became a certified threat intelligence analyst and sort of had a, um, oh, I already do that kind of moment. And uh, yeah, I, I do... Do love keeping up on cybersecurity intelligence. So I'm going to be giddy, I'm going to be like, um, I think before the show said, I, ana- I made the analogy to it's kind of like show and tell with a, a boy and all his trucks because every cyber intel report, it's like, and here's this truck, but I have a different truck and I love this one because it's yellow. And uh, I'm going to try to tone it down and be professional. <laughs> um, uh, I'd like to give a little introduction to the topic, but first I just want to bring on our guests. So originally we had scheduled, uh, two guests, Chris McNeil and, uh, Alec Mather-Shapiro. Uh, Alec, unfortunately, um, cannot be here tonight. He's, uh, a family obligation that came up. Um, so, um, we've got Chris, uh, let's bring Chris in. Hey, Chris, hello, how are you doing? Hello. doing well. Um, Chris, would you like to introduce yourself?
0: Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm Chris McNeil and I am a security analyst at WestJet. I work in the identity access management department at the moment, but previously I have worked um, doing regular more day-to-day security operations and threat intel was a big part of what I did.
1: Um, I, I, I uh, knew Chris and, and actually recruited him when he graduated from SAIT. And the very first conversation Chris and I ever had Um, he listened to me politely as I went on to a bunch of things. And I was talking about current events and he nodded. And then when he spoke, it was clear that he was digesting and synthesizing a lot of information and he was way up to date and it kind of blew me over. Um, and, uh, I, I still think of you as that guy, everyone's going to hear me use the term synthesize a fair bit. And that's a good segue into me um, describing why I think this is a really interesting topic, um, but what it really means to us. Um, So when we talk about um, threat intelligence, um, we mean a bunch of things. Um, The most obvious means, you know, it could just be reading the daily cybersecurity news but there is actually a formal process that is referred to as intelligence. And uh, in a nutshell, it goes like this. Um, people c- collect vast quantities of data. And that could be, say, from vendors who have honeypots, uh, you know, the firewall vendors of the world, um, the sandbox vendors. And they they see attacks all the time against their customers. And they analyze all that data to look for patterns. They look for... Um, Uh, signatures of attacks, malware. And that's uh, one form of data that gets digested. But then there's also other um, patterns that that you look for in the data. So um, where are these attackers coming from? Um, What damage did they do? What tools did they use? What techniques did they use? So all this raw data, it gets sorted and it gets categorized, and it gets classified, it gets analyzed, and it becomes some enriched information. And that in itself is useful, but it really becomes intelligence when someone looks at the digested information and then makes it what we call actionable, that they put it in context so that it's meaningful to you and you could make a decision based on it. You could advise someone. Uh, you could predict what type of attack you might see next. And that's where threat intelligence gets really exciting. And um, I have sort of um, a a goal here that um, I deeply hold the belief that it doesn't matter if you're in IT or in cybersecurity, it's your job to read the reports, not someone else's. And it's a really, if you've never read a Threat Intel report, and I know you all have because vendors market their reports, but we're going to show you tonight a whole wide variety of them and talk about why certain ones are useful. Um, It's really fun to read them. When I saw the first Threat Intel report like 10, 15 years ago, oh my, it was not easy to read. And I was a sysadmin. I was a web developer. It wasn't, but today... They're they are approachable, they're readable, um, it's, it's easy to understand them, and it's easy for you to digest them, and then be able to use them to give advice to your boss, etc. So um, the goal here is we're going to have fun chatting about the things we love to discuss offline, and we hope you love it enough that you'll look for a report that you like, and then whether it's once a year, or once a quarter, once a week, you'll start digesting this information and making use of it too. Okay, Mauro. Okay, I'm, I'm going to stop talking now and let you <laughs> talk. All
2: right. So uh, before we begin, uh, if you like this video or any of our videos, please hit the like button. And uh, yeah, if you enjoy our live stream, by all means, please subscribe. Help Michael uh, get his custom URL from uh, YouTube. That's all we ask for. We're not really looking for it. We are, we handout, are now
1: so. 20 subscribers away from oh, me so. being able to get a custom YouTube that, that URL.
2: That close. That close. <laughs> so, yes, as uh, Michael was saying, uh, we, we decided to do this live stream just because it's it's, it's something that we, in general, in private, uh, when we have our group chats, we, we talk about this. Uh, it's actually posted in our Discord. So for those of you that want to join our Discord, by all means, please join. Um, but uh, I think in general there there's a lot going on right now, uh, especially with uh, a lot of people staying at home, doing their jobs from home, uh, due to the whole COVID lockdown. So, uh, and I will actually go through some of that. I know that uh, Michael's going to uh, talk briefly, or a little bit more extensively, I should say, about the uh, Verizon data uh, breach uh, incident report. Again, true, uh, true report that I, I love myself and I use, uh, <laughs> I use it to actually uh, help uh, in my day-to-day uh, job as well. And I know Chris; uh, he's got a wealth of information that he covers. Even though he says he says it's out of date, it's, it's still relevant <laughs> today. So, uh, you know, looking forward to that. Uh, so, I guess just to kick it off, I'm gonna throw it back to Michael so he can kind of cover uh, the the uh, Verizon uh, data breach report. So.
1: So let me start off by giving a little bit of a survey of the types of reports that are out there. Um, and let me switch the screen to this view. Um, so I'm gonna come back to this visual and this is why it's a really good time to start, even if your job doesn't require it, to start reading Thread Intel reports because I'm gonna come back and explain how to read this graph and this is a really cool, almost art form of threat intel, it's from the Verizon Data Breach Report. But I want to start off by talking about the different types of threat intel that you can consume. Um, the idea with threat intel is people are always analyzing the data; they're always synthesizing it, which is combining it in meaningful ways, and then giving us some context where we could make a decision or predict something. Um, so, you know. Uh, think about it like in politics, you have pundits who are always trying to predict what's going to happen next. When cybersecurity is even more important because we've always got these these issues. So which of our security projects should we do first? Where should we put effort? What threat is going to affect us next? Um, do I invest in configuring the firewall? Or do we buy a sandbox? Or do we build new procedures in our SOC? Um, do I go get training? These are all actually really difficult choices. And if you make one choice and not the other, and then you get hacked, um, that's bad. So how do you make a good justifiable choice? Well, being up on your thread Intel is a great way to do that. Um, up on the screen, I've got um, a daily podcast called The Cyber Wire. Um, all of my clients know that I f- virtually force them to <laughs> <laughs> like listen to the CyberWire. It's uh, a daily twenty-minute um, podcast. Think of it as the six o'clock news for um, cybersecurity. And but it's it it is not but technical issues. It is about emerging uh, threat actors and threats. But they're not scared to talk about technical things. And every day they digest um, news articles that are coming out they interview guests who are always excellent and their commentary and analysis is amazing and they've branched and they they are the gold standard for cybersecurity news they've been around for quite a few years and now they've branched out into specialized podcasts um research saturday which is an in-depth review with someone doing vulnerability or threat research um or threat intelligence. They have one that's on social engineering, one that's on legal issues um, and on. Uh, you might be familiar with say the SANS Internet Storm Center, Stormcast. It's a five minute daily. It's similar, but this, the, the five minute daily is technical. This is the broader issues, put it in context, see the forest, not the trees. I can't recommend Consuming this every day enough. And the best part is, it comes out about three, four in the afternoon, which means, well, prior to COVID, (laughs) you could listen to this on your drive home or your bike home or your walk home. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, you put the kids to bed and now you got this. Or, first thing in the morning, you've got the day before. It's about 20 minutes. It's enough to enjoy your coffee, give yourself a break, and enjoy this. Um, There's also a number of other daily things. So, for instance, uh, Recorded Futures, which specialize in threat intelligence, they have a daily um, uh, newsletter, which is great. In fact, the guys over the CyberWire <laughs> reference this quite frequently, um, and the quality on this is is quite exceptional. Um, why is it exceptional? The people from Recorded Futures have many of them are intelligence analysts, have a background in intelligence anal- analysis, and they're good at it. There are also point-in-time reports. Some of the most famous ones come from Mandiant FireEye, starting with the original, what was called the APT-1 report. If you really want to read something cool, go back and read their APT-1 report, the very first report that defined a threat actor. It contained photographs of the buildings where the Chinese threat actors were. Um, They had gotten hold of the policy documents from government that gave uh, the People's Liberation Army the mandate to hack. It was amazing for a very serious report. Um, They also have a whole bunch of other topical issues. Uh, In the ICS world, Dragos, um, uh, led by Robert Lee, has some of the best analysts with the best processes and the they, they are very deep thinkers about what it means to do in, um, threat analysis, and they have um, uh, these um, actor-specific reports that are fantastic. It's also great to go in, on YouTube, watch Robert Lee's presentations on how to do threat intelligence and then how to consume it. Um, uh, Bleeping Computer uh, has some amazing breaking news. And at the end, I think we're going to talk about the maze Ransomware Cartel, um, who they actually reached out and talked to the guys and did an interview. Uh, And virtually every vendor, McAfee, Tripwire, Checkpoint, Fortinet, Palo Alto, uh, everyone, and then a million startups who all produce products, produce threat landscape reports. Um, These are all useful. You, You have to keep in mind they're marketing tools. But all of these vendors get a lot of raw data, and I wouldn't necessarily call all of them great intelligence, but they're that middle stage between data and intelligence where it's great information. And then you can look at it and draw your own conclusions, uh, and they do have great, great data. Um, If you just think about how many records a firewall vendor has or sandbox vendor, um, they are great. But sort of the apex of these are, Um, reports that there aren't a great quantity of that tend to come from the big consulting firms or analysis firms um, like the Verizon data breach report. Um, So now I'll, I'll actually talk about that thing. Um, Let me zoom out a bit. So Verizon. Okay. So uh, not quite 15 years ago. um, I read, I think it was the second or third Verizon data breach report. Um, and I'm like, Verizon, the phone company, like, come on, what what, data breaches, did they get breached? And I read the report and, you know, um, 15 years ago when they started, it wasn't what it was today. It was actually a fair bit of a hard uh, thing for me as a sysadmin to consume, but it was intriguing. And I started to think, oh, does this tell me anything about? Um, At the time, I was thinking about, well, can I justify doing some security projects over, say, our storage and virtualization projects? Because we had some problems that I think we're going to address. And the report was quite helpful in going to my boss and saying, well, here are the trends. I'd like to be prepared for these trends ahead of time. And the trends was the likelihood of a significant event was going way, way up. And there were specific types and specific industries indicated in this report. It was cool about Verizon. So they've got this investigative unit and they would go out and look at reports of data breaches from a variety of partners and sources, sit down, crunch the numbers, and then look for trends. And they correlated those events They would classify the industry of the victim, classify the um, potential motivation of the attacker, classify the tools used, and then see if they could figure out what was going on and tell the story. Today, this report um, is one of the most visually appealing, one of the best explained. And as of three years ago, it's written in plain language. And so it is so fun to read, not like when I started 15 years ago. And if you take a look, the full report here, let me zoom in on this. It's 118 pages. Don't be scared of that because it's all pictures. (laughs) This is like the coffee table book of Thread Intel where you can flip through and have a good time. Zoom in and sort of casually browse it or... If you've got a goal in mind, you can sit down like I did and read it end to end. Um, now that they've got over 15 years worth of data, they're able to make comparisons year to year that really highlight some of the trends and make a compelling case for what we should pay attention to. Now, why do I like it? Well, first of all, they use something called Veris. Veris is the vocabulary for event recording and incident sharing, which means they classify things the same way every time. And that's basically who's the threat actor, what threat actions did they take, and those have a every time they classify them as malware, hacking, social, misuse, physical, errors, or environmental, every time. So year to year, you can use it not only that, but you can adapt Varus to your own incident response program. And then you can tie this threat Intel together with the data you see. And it looks very compelling and you don't have to be like Johnny cyber expert. You can literally be the sysadmin in charge of the firewall who's looking at data from the last year and say, hey, I noticed some trends. Um, or if you're a cybersecurity manager or a director, it, is, it speaks huge volumes to be able to take a popular threat Intel report and then classify your own incidents as CISO with the same vocabulary and match them up for your executive or your board. Uh, it really adds some clout. It's wonderful that they do that. The report um, also has another great feature, which is it has two classifications for the type of event they're looking at. They look at incidents and breaches, breach meaning some data was disclosed. The bad guys have access to the data. An incident means all the bad things, but that there's no reason to believe the data was disclosed. Um, And this distinction is really, really important when we start talking about recent trends, because ransomware historically was prior... And including this Verizon data breach reports, ransomware was always an incident, not a breach. And there's actually a footnote. These guys are on top of it. There's a footnote saying, yes, we know as of November of last year, the main ransomware gangs are stealing the data and extorting people by leaking the data. Um, We'll talk a little bit more about the three or four threat actors who've changed that trend. Um, And they've, noted that in future reports, ransomware will have to be considered um, breach. So bonus material for anyone watching. If you get ransomware, you can no longer go and say, well, we have no evidence that they actually read the data they encrypted. That's over. Um, We have to assume that every ransomware is a breach now. And then the final thing is they have very innovative visualizations that are very intuitive. So this example here is rather than just a bar graph, they literally put the bars as little dots, each dot being an incident in this case, a company that was affected. And then they split the median, the average um, of the whole bar chart down the center with two colors. So you can say, well, where is most of the action happening so you don't have to puzzle over the visualizations. Um, it's, they have many, many innovative visualizations. The whole thing is filled with great charts, each of which are formulated as an insight, a question. What tactics are being utilized? Who's behind the breaches? And so as you browse through it page by page, They inevitably will have asked the question that you or your boss or your boss's boss might ask. And then they've done the analysis and put together a visualization. And for each one, they have an explanation. And the way it's been written for the last three years is so wonderfully plain language. Anyone can read it, Um, but they don't lose the context and they don't lose the detail. This is amazingly good writing. My only criticism is that they do tend to include some colloquial language and some cultural references. Um, but you know what, that makes it more approachable for you. It just means, um, non native English speakers who don't have an Amero centric point of view, a few of the jokes might be lost on them while the rest of us are chuckling. Um, and I love this visualization at first, this looks a little crazy. This is a very meaningful chart. So this is looking at um, the um, threat actions that occurred in breaches. This is where data was leaked over time. And you'll see at the it goes left to right year by year. So this is a five-year retrospective. Very valuable to us to see how the trends are shaping up. And you'll notice that malware, which is often the center of our IT security programs, is actually going way down over the last few years. Now, follow this green line. Green line starts at spot number one in 2015, drops down to the middle for a couple of years, goes back up, and then in the last two years, plummeted and this is in a data breach. So malware is no longer considered a major threat action. And they actually explain the trend in here and their speculation and their observations that it's because um, credential theft is now the key thing enabling breaches. And it's tied up in this trend of... Are threat actors stealing our data, not just ransoming it, not just um, tampering with it. Um, Some other trends that happen in here is that errors are continuing to increase. And historically in this report, errors were very high. And then the year that the target breach occurred, there was some new categories and we saw um, POS malware, financially motivated crime, skyrocket. And that was a bit of an abnormality. We still see a lot of POS malware and a lot of credit card theft, um, but it's sort of displaced. It's skewed subjectively um, the perception of errors. And we're seeing that uh, in a lot of breaches, error occurs. And so you think error, what is error? And error is really important because um, as sysadmins, as IT practitioners, um, as software developers, error means us. Error means the manager who leaves the laptop in his car. It means the doctor who lost a USB stick full of patient data. It means the developer who spun up a test environment in AWS and left the S3 bucket public. It means, um, you know, we got pressure from somebody to open up RDP. Um, or we didn't do a change right on the firewall and ended up opening a whole bunch of ports, or we upgraded a firmware and didn't realize it was going to change the config, and we go, oh, successful upgrade. And now um, the WAF or the F5 um, uh, system was letting in way more traffic than we thought. That's error. Um, It's where we have security controls, but we don't verify them and we make changes. Just think about it. Our whole job in IT is making changes. This is scary. And this trend is one of the biggest indicators where we should, as IT professionals, whether we're the boss or whether we're going to our boss, saying, look, this is where we need to start focusing our efforts, is verifying our changes so that we can discover these errors or buying services that help discover errors or as cybersecurity professionals saying, I'm not so much concerned about the pen test this year is, is there somebody out there that can go out and see if our data is over there or <laughs> can scan our cloud or can we buy a service that monitors our cloud things to see if we've got any bad permissions? Yeah, like, no?
2: I was gonna say that, yeah, in, in several reports and several articles, uh, that that's what they're pointing at is uh, mis- misconfiguration, especially in uh, cloud environments and I know in this report, it even talks a bit about, you know, the prevalence or uh, the, the rise of uh, threat actors going after cloud assets. So, um,
1: yes, it's
2: it, it's quite uh, it's quite telling. So
1: you'll also notice that um, uh, hacking tends to have this up down kind of thing. And that's been my observation of the report over the years. Um, hacking is um It's a really tough category in this report for me um, whenever I'm trying to understand what's going on because you see Trojan malware and hacking are all different. And really, they throw a few things in here. Like here they say use of stolen creds is hacking. Um, But there's also one for phishing. Um, That's a bit confusing. One of the things you have to do with this report is realize that like all intelligence, it is imperfect. It requires interpretation. Um, And their report uses um, what's in statistics or data science is known as um, uh, sampling of convenience or convenience sampling, which means they're dealing with the data they're given. And depending on who's participating in any given year, it could skew the results. And they're aware of that. And so this is really subjective and it's about trends, not about determining absolute results. Um, despite that, I find this whole everything in here to be really meaningful because in cybersecurity, we're always trying to tell a story about what is happening in the world. So we could decide what to do next. What's going to be because we're always on the defensive What's the most impactful thing we can do, or how do we avoid being breached next? This helps us tell good stories and those good stories are the best way we can communicate with the decision makers. Um, I'm going to shut up now because I will go on all night talking about this. Um, there is also an executive summary, which is much shorter. Start with that. Um,
2: okay. Although, I don't know. You know, honestly, for 118 pages, again, you know, it's, it's a lot of charts. Uh, and, you know, the, I think the parts where there's uh, some substance to read, it's it's pretty concise. Like, it's not, you know, it doesn't drone on or anything. So, I, I feel like, you know, it's, it's not that bad of a read, to be honest. And, you know, really, uh, and you see that, you know, certain trends just never go away. Like, you know, that whole phishing trend. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they talk about uh, malware coming in through uh, email. And, you know, it's surprising how many companies they just don't put effort or, you know, dollars into um, protecting their email assets, which is really shocking. Because when you read this report, you're just like, oh, wow, this is like the number one vector that, you know, everyone always attacks. And year after year, it just it's always consistently high. And yeah, it's this, uh,
1: that's really important. This report really reshaped um you know, at a time in early in my cybersecurity career, when I was writing um, sort of recommendation reports and threat risk assessments on specific types of threats, um, this report really helped open my eyes to realigning some of the recommendations I was making about what was super important. And I was overreacting to some of the wrong things, I think. Um, I want to point out this term you're going to see in here. If you read this, This might confuse you the first time. It certainly did to me. They have some great um, analysis of timelines and breaches. Um, And boy, that's really important in understanding how hackers really affect us and why breaches are bad. Um, And they use this term days or less, months or less, weeks or less to talk about discovery of breaches and response to breaches. Um, What it really means is um, you get breached, do you discover that you're breached in days, weeks, months, or years? And then they, whenever they take all the, like, I think this is covering 24,000 um, incidents and breaches this year, they take those 24,000, they say, okay, let's put a measurement on each one. Did the victim discover it in days or less, weeks or less, months or less? And then they, They break that down and say, well, what about for ransomware attacks? What about for hacking? What about for espionage? Um, And that's a really good bucket to put it in. You don't care about the average number. You just kind of care, oh my God, was it days or years? (laughs) Uh, So So Kyle has a.
2: uh, Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, Kyle, our our friend Kyle has a question. So uh, do you want to read that? Oh, sure. Uh, Is the Verizon report starting to standardize any of their action varieties? closer to MITRE and which seems to be the standard for describing techniques being used, i.e. phishing initial access T1192.
1: Yes, as of this year, they have um, started to include MITRE and one other um, standard um, in the reports. And they even say uh, in the beginning of the report, that starting next year, um, that will be a much bigger part of their analysis. Cool,
2: great question. By the way,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yes, absolutely. In fact, you know, if there's anybody, I don't know anyone who has consumed more threat intel sources and in commercial services, whether it's indicators of compromise, management platforms, or these kind of reports than Kyle. Um, your advice, Kyle over the years about trying to sort the wheat from the chaff for all the products available from ISACs to commercial vendors, to me, it's just been gold. Um, so we're probably going to, you know, invite you to come and share that.
2: Oh, no, not, not, we we're not, we're not going to, probably, we are going to Kyle just doesn't know it yet, but we're, <laughs> we're totally going to reel them in.
1: <laughs> uh, we just have to find the, uh, the right. The right topic just to let him, to wind him up and let him go.
2: Oh, uh, well, you know, we'll, we're probably going to do this one at least once a month, so we'll, we'll probably bring him on anyways, right? So yeah. Kyle's Kyle's fun to chat with anyways, so. <laughs>
1: um, so I'm not going to uh, speak in any more detail about the Verizon data breach report, um, other than to say that's, that's the kind of report it is. There aren't a, a ton that I've read that are like that, but there are a few few specialty deep reports um, that I think are worth showing. And just let me summarize them. And then we're going to uh, Moro or Chris can take, take over. Give me one sec while I share another window. And where is that window? There we go. Okay, sorry, technical difficulties. Um, so there are a number of organizations that are usually specialized to an industry, or they're part of an analysis or a think tank, or maybe they're one of the big four vendors, or, you know, the Gartners of the world. And um, it always pays to go and hunt for these specialized reports that really come from. Um, Organizations that do nothing but analysis. One of my favorites is from ICIT, the Industrial, um, the Institute for Critical Infrastructure. And I used to do this presentation around Calgary called um, Energy Sector Cyber Threats. And I gave that to everyone I could. And it was a summary of all the threat actors from 2008 to 2015 uh, in the energy sector. Well, these guys went and wrote a report it was even more comprehensive and I stopped doing my presentation and I would just tell my clients, go read this thing. And they haven't, um, they now do it as a, it's a commercial presentation. Um, I think is a great idea. Um, <laughs> but this report is still available and man, is it a great profile of types of threat actors? And they complemented that with this report called know your enemy 2.0 And what this is, is a comprehensive list of threat actors from open source profiles. And it's way out of date now, but um, you could basically use it like a little catalog or an almanac and then go and say, well, this is what we're dealing with in ICS security. Today, I would actually go to Dragos for something like that. Um, they really have a great way of profiling those threat actors. Um, But if you go to specialized firms, they have specialized reports. So Lars has this sort of top 10 findings from pen tests, and it's not about threat actors. It's actually about techniques that work, Um, but it's actually very similar to what we see. Um, I don't even know who this vendor is, but their review of APT 10 is pretty good. They're clearly following on the footsteps of Mandiant, profiling individual threat actors. RSA has a quarterly report on fraud. So sometimes we're not just talking about um, uh, uh, cybersecurity. We're talking about an area of risk that includes cybersecurity but is much more broad. Um, And then our trade organizations, um, ISC Squared, um, ISACA, periodically generate sort of one-offs in this case, a two-port report from a few years back on the state of cybersecurity. Um, Now this was profession specific and it gives a very good um, perspective about how this affects us and our professional practice, as opposed to say, well, how do we defend or detect these? There's a ton of different perspectives and don't be scared to go out there and find a report that might tickle your fancy or suit your needs. Okay,
2: Okay. so I guess I'll take over here. Uh, Sorry, Chris. We're we're saving you because you're the best (laughs) last. (laughs) So yeah, no, uh, topic I wanted to cover actually uh, was the um, cyber threat bulletin from actually the the government of Canada. Uh, And it actually uh, goes into depth talking about some of the threats that we're starting to see crop up due to this whole COVID lockdown. And I think it's as, you know, most security analysts have uh, suspected, uh, like almost every incident, you know, in the past 10 years, whenever there's a major, you know, tragedy or some sort of weird event that happens, uh, it catapults those threat actors to the surface. Right. And they're they're always looking to capitalize on it. And it's no real surprise, uh, especially this time around. We're starting to see, um, you know, a lot of people working from home now. Uh, which means that you know they're having to leverage some of their personal devices to connect into your corporate network, which means that really uh, you're increasing your attack surface, which is is fundamentally dangerous. <laughs> so the report really kind of really echoes some some I'm going to say uh, you know common sense, uh, at least in the uh, in the cybersecurity industry uh, about some of the some of the things that you find in the report. Uh, what's really interesting, I think, is the fact that. Now the report, or the the bulletin, I should say, came out uh, towards the end of April, so it's about a month and a half old. But uh, one of the glaring things that that you know they point out is that, you know, by that time there was already one hundred twenty thousand newly registered domain names that were tied to some in some way COVID nineteen, which is pretty scary because if you think that even half of those, so like let's say sixty thousand brand new domains, are being utilized to Basically, commit some sort of fraud, or convince you to click some link, fraudulent link, and you know whether you get infected with some sort of malware, or accidentally uh, you know start do- donating your uh, <laughs> donating your hard-earned money to some charity that doesn't exist. It's uh, it's pretty scary. So um, yeah, again, you know it, it's it's a it's a brief bulletin. I think it's worthwhile reading, uh, and it's it's quite interesting. A lot of the tactics are, are pretty fundamental. Uh, I think for me, what was really interesting and in highlighting was that although it's not prevalent, maybe in um, Canada or even North America, there were even phishing campaigns that were like spreading, if you want to call it uh, false news, uh, you know, stating things and, and, and causing the general population to to essentially protest and riot. So really, I mean, one has to wonder, you know, where's the financial gain in that? But it's causing civil uh, unrest in a lot of countries, based on that uh, the spreading of uh, false information. So, you know that's and- a really
1: that's a really good point um, that speaks to why we should read threat intel reports because it lowers our own bias. Mm-hmm. A lot of misinformation is quite compelling. Um, at the beginning of COVID, I actually saw on LinkedIn someone who is an award-winning um, risk manager is quite well known. Lots of people follow him, speaks at a lot of events. And I was watching what he was spreading and he's like, I'm convinced that this is a bio weapon. And I was like, oh my God, dude, you were literally repeating yeah. Russian disinformation. Yeah. And yeah. why would an intelligent person do that? Well, in fact, that's why misinformation works. What's our antidote? Good, thoughtful analysis. We bring that in and then it helps us um, determine when something isn't supportable um, or at least helps us overcome our own internal biases.
2: Yeah, no, I, I agree uh, again, you know, especially when you, you start to see, you know, uh, credible sources of, <laughs> or actually I shouldn't say credible sources, but, uh, you know, people with uh, a, a significant stature in the community starting to spread those types of uh, information, it, it, it certainly is scary. Um, but yeah, no, the the report is, or sorry, not the report, I should say, the bulletin. And again, it's it's very short. I would say, you know, most people could probably read through it in 15 minutes. But it's it's worthwhile, uh, worthwhile reading. And I know that, uh, you know, with Michael and our group, uh, there's a lot of cases where, you know, we were talking about this exact thing. And we were saying that, you know, some of what we're seeing and some of what, even what's in this bulletin, I think is only really scratching the surface. Uh, You know, and I'll I'll quote Michael saying it uh, that, you know, they're really going after the low hanging fruit right now. Um, And really, uh, there's a lot of fruit on the ground, so to speak. So people are kind of stumbling and tripping, tripping over themselves, trying to uh, (laughs) trying to basically make money off of this whole scare. And really, uh, I think, you know, in that process of preparing and stumbling across each other, we haven't really seen the big, big threat actors. Go into action. Uh, now that being said, we will talk about Maze later uh, later in this uh, live stream, and I think that you know that Maze is going to play really relevantly into this topic.
1: So, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so yeah, I know. Uh, either way, I I highly recommend you know reading these these types of things as well. Uh, I'm more of a not so much of a report reader. I do like to read the Verizon report and you know the Checkpoint report and various reports uh, I'm, I'm definitely a guy that consumes news more frequently. So, um, uh, I do like, you know, like, uh, some of those things that, uh, Michael had posted like leaping computer and whatnot. And I
1: read those. quite frequently. Do, do you have any, do you have any favorites that I didn't mention? I don't think so.
2: I think you, you covered some, yeah, uh, actually you covered most of everything I read. So, I mean, you know, other than, you know, other, other things I read that come across there just, you know, magically, like, usually it's in my Google feeds or whatever, right. That, uh, you know, security stuff will come in there as well. So I, uh, I tend to read a lot, uh, a lot of financial stuff as well as business. So, uh, I probably should focus more on cybersecurity to be honest with you. Cause, uh, you know, again, with the whole COVID lockdown, it's, uh, it's scary how much, how much more news there is flowing this, this way. So, um,
1: yeah, you know, you know um, <laughs> I, I also believe in reading outside of cybersecurity. I read um these weird risk management reports and CEO risk perspective things. Um, but you know, I'm a librarian, so you know, reading is <laughs> well part of what I do.
2: I, and I was gonna say, like LinkedIn, uh they have like feeds to various magazines like for me, Inc. magazine is is huge on my list. Uh I mean it doesn't really apply to cybersecurity, but yeah, then you know there's other feeds in cybersecurity that uh, that come through. <laughs> Is Slashdot still a thing? Oh man, it must. It, be. It still it exists. exists. But I, 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 you know what? That's fell off the radar for me for I, a while. I don't. Back, I don't right? think
1: it's. I don't think it's the uh, discussion aggregator that it mm. once was. I think it's re- Reddit has replaced.
2: Yeah, that. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, you know, and certainly I probably dedicate a little too much time to Reddit every uh, every day as well, while I'm you know. While I'm doing my work on the sidelines, like something pops up, and it's like, "Oh, Reddit." <laughs> so, so,
1: so you know, when it, when it comes to um, uh, getting good thread intel from outside of industry, I can't speak more highly of anything other than the Economist. The Economist is literally people who do analysis for a living. Yeah. They call it business intelligence instead. They in fact have a business intelligence unit, and they are they while they have bias, it is so so muted compared to everything else we consume. Um, And if you want to learn to be a good reader and a thoughtful analyst, start reading The Economist. It will be so refreshing because it won't make you rage like Twitter does. And it won't make you yell at the TV like the news does. You'll be like, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to uh, copy this opinion and say it's my own. And people at parties will think I'm so smart. Let's yeah, actually,
2: actually I was gonna say, yeah, CISO online for for me does kind of that same thing, right? Like I I do tend to re- consume that. Actually, I use uh I use that to quote in a lot of my presentations when when I'm doing my job. So, um, but yeah, I know uh great great source. I I I can't I can't agree more than the Economist. I, I you know, it's just not. It's one of those things where it's just tr- straight info, no fluff, right? So. And I love that. Well,
1: during COVID, they've now started including recipes and things to do with your kids. (laughs) um, (laughs) So they're responding to the times.
2: Well, they are. They are. So uh, anyways, moving on. So we've saved the best for last. Chris, we would (laughs) would appreciate uh, you and uh, some of your uh, wisdom. Uh, board I, I do
0: have one that Michael hasn't mentioned yet. It's more of a news feed than direct threat intelligence. There's not a lot of synthesis in there, uh, but the security wizardry radar, the security radar is one of my go-to morning rituals. Go in and check that out, along with the SANS Internet Storm Center Stormcast. Uh, that's always on my drive into work just to catch up on things. But uh, my top three, SANS is number two. Uh, Something that Michael just uh, uh, poo-pooed on a little bit is uh, my favorite is Twitter actually. And being on Twitter, if you can stay away from the drama and if you can follow the right people that are saying things that are useful to you, firsthand accounts, anecdotal evidence, but at my previous position, I was able to go to my boss before it hit the news for wanna cry, not Petya, and Eternal Blue. And for all three of those, because I had my ear on Twitter, and I was getting feeds and data from those sources from different people. I was able to go in for Eternal Blue and say, I've already verified that SMB is turned off to the outside. So by the time it hits the news, and my manager's going, What is this Eternal Blue thing going on here? I've already gone and said, I've already checked it, and I know we're protected. And for WannaCry, uh, I happened to be following MTB before this all happened, uh, but to be watching it and people are coming and asking me what's going on and to say, yeah, I I've been following this. I've seen it happening. Oh, and by the way, I think we're okay now as people are just starting to hear about it for the first time. So Twitter for me is one of the most up to date and live pieces of information.
1: It's the timeliness. Um, you know what I would think I, and I think you're right. Cause I, I do actually carefully curate a bunch of Twitter feeds is timeliness and the ability to curate. Other platforms are really hard to curate, but because of the feed, because it's a feed, you can just basically say, well, I'm gonna pick. that." That's what you're getting at, right? Is you get to choose, so you don't just have to rage at the latest thing. That, um, <laughs> what,
0: are, what are we raging about today? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah it, it, it definitely, it is a lot of curation. So it's listening to, um, it, finding people, following who those people follow and then going out and saying, I'm getting good information from this person. I'm going to promote them a little bit more. I'm not getting information from this person. I'm going to stop following them. And it's an active process, but Mm -hmm. it's definitely the most timely, like a lot of the news sources get their information from Twitter.
1: So that that reminds me. um, And I think there's this guy that I discovered because uh, Kyle Hausen, um, like repost Simon on LinkedIn, uh, Jeff Sims of Cyber Mongol. Um, he's got a, a system that seems to really uh, not just use curation, but tends to look for clusters of phenomenon that are occurring out in open source intelligence and other things. And it it's the same sort of observation that you've got. Is like you can see that all oh there's an uptick in this activity right now. People are talking about it, and that. Timeliness um, can be um, uh, quite quite, quite helpful.
0: Yeah, if you're able to get something in front of your boss before it hits the news, you're a hero, definitely.
1: So I think there's a downside to this too. There's a danger in it. Um, and this is the librarian in me speaking about always having to evaluate information, see if the this, this source is authoritative or trustworthy. Uh, so think about a few days ago when everyone was like, oh my God, there's a massive DDoS. <laughs> oh my God, Anonymous just said that. D- and then, you know, cooler heads prevailed hours later and said, uh, all I did is post some random sample of DDoS traffic that's just happening right now. And yeah, the graphic looks good, but there ain't no cause in the, uh, to this effect. Um, and uh, that often happens when we're looking at if someone makes a claim and everyone repeats it on Twitter, it tends to amplify whether it's real or not. Um, yeah, but it's hard to argue with the timeliness of it.
0: Um, getting to Kyle's question on YouTube a little bit. uh, My number one source for threat Intel is your own logs. So yeah, that, (laughs) yeah. Uh, because ultimately at the end of the day uh, yes we why would we pay for a threat intel feed is we're paying for the synthesis of it we don't really care what everybody else is getting hit by if it's not targeting us even if it's the business next door if you're not checking your logs and not saying hey i'm also seeing this then it's a nice to know but it's not really actionable for you but if you have your pulse on Twitter, and you're seeing what's live. But you also have a pulse and a good handle on your logs, and things aren't just disappearing into some sim black hole. Then your logs are what's actually relevant for you at the end of the day.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, I it, that's say- actually really
1: relevant to Kyle's question. I think. Um, so Kyle's uh, asking. So, what are your thoughts on um, getting thread intel versus generating it? Um, so right now, threat intelligence is now the big, hot topic. Everyone's talking about um, threat intelligence. There are tons of products. There are tons of vendors. There's lots and lots of course, courses on it. Uh, and it's now a new thing to record. Re- you know, people are now looking to recruit uh, here in town in Calgary. Um, I don't I think they dropped the posting, but a, one of the major oil companies is looking for a threat intel analyst internally. Um, so everyone's trying to find ways to consume it and make decisions on it, but it tends to be third parties that we consume from. Um, and we're finally maturing enough that thread Intel feeds don't just mean indicators of compromise um, and addresses and things like that, that we might block or analyze or data enrichment about, Oh, tell me more about this IP. They're now becoming consumable, actionable, um, context,
2: yeah. and I was going to say it kind of seems like um, if you're going to ask me maybe about uh, two years ago, uh, everyone was kind of jumping on board with uh, SIM, and SIM started becoming a really really hot topic. And right, and then
1: and then yeah. consuming threat intel meant yeah. can yeah. you feed some
2: exactly exactly
1: definable patterns yeah. and signatures and indicators. Right, I I want to I want to skip the technical side mm-hmm. because there is a technical side and you see a lot of the questions people are talking about MISP um, AI, how do you track it? Um, uh, I've seen Kyle's work and he had some very, uh, intuitive and impressive ways of tagging things, tracking them, and then making great analytics later. Um, literally man, you could teach, um, a course on that. Uh, I want to, I want to like bypass that for a second. Um, generating threat intelligence as, in an organization has incredible value. And I actually believe um, the future of cybersecurity is going to be when it gets consumed as a business function into business intelligence. Um, we're already seeing a broadening of the use of the term of intelligence in, in cybersecurity going from threat intelligence. You'll see a lot of people now refer to cyber intelligence. And they're referring to a broader process of giving actionable and strategic information to business leaders, whether they're planning their business activities or trying to be more threat centric. And if you think about what business intelligence does in an organization, oh my God, we're starting to do that in cyber. And then if you think exactly what Chris was saying. Your own logs are a source of this intelligence Um, uh, in cybersecurity. And we're now talking, we're using um, terms that used to be only in business intelligence. We use the terms data warehouse, data lake. Uh, um, People are justifying creating those. Our analytic platforms have crossed over completely with business intelligence. Splunk had started off as a sysadmin tool and now, as a business intelligence tool, but now is shifting to be a cybersecurity <laughs> analytics tool, we are we are literally going to become um, uh, a fun- a business function that consumes data, processes it to create information, adds context, analyzes it, synthesizes it, makes actionable recommendations and provides predictive value and strategic advice, insights and narratives visualizations and storytelling which is what business intelligence done um y- you'll see it all creeping in it's very very exciting and it's also very weird if if you know a lot of our circle we come from we're network analysts and to coming up into this analytical world and it's like but wait will i be able to keep up <laughs> you know what if you take a look at what data science did there's this whole spectrum of people that participate. It's not just data scientists, they're the data engineers and wranglers and visualizers. And I look at the work that Kyle's done where a very technical person. And then over the last five years, each time I talk to him, which isn't often enough, he now starts to engage in what in my world would be called visual storytelling, but he's also doing analytics, but he's also doing data classification without calling it that. Uh, through his tagging, and he's using standards, and he's exploring the data, the way that data scientists would call data exploration. I'm like, wow, okay, there, there's your answer. Are we going to be left behind? No. Uh,
0: it's only going to be a matter of time before you're going to start to see threat intel teams being formed because you see a posting right now for a single individual to handle threat intelligence for an organization, but. As companies realize the value in this and how it can reduce the cost on the security side, you're going to start to see teams. And I think my prediction is going to be the required traits for threat intelligence analysts are going to be R programming, Tableau, ELK stack, all of these data science uh, components, like you're mentioning.
1: It'll um, uh, there's these uh, guys who do threat hunting. Um, Cyber War Dog and Cyber whatever their brothers. I love their presentations, and they're doing this cool thing where they're taking um, uh, Elk Stack, but they're integrating it with Jupyter Notebooks, um, so they can do Python for their threat hunting. And they are literally doing this sort of threat analytics, and it's called threat hunting right now. But I looked at it and said, "Wow, this is" as um, soon as you start doing. And so for those who don't know, Jupyter Notebooks are really a really cool thing that's popular in data science and it lets you run code in a well-documented notebook. So imagine like OneNote, but where you can execute scripts and then self-document the scripts, but also visualize the output. Um, And when they started doing that threading and that's when I started thinking, oh my God, we are crossing over because business intelligence does the same thing. Um, and we think about it, what are we doing? Our jobs in it and cybersecurity are coming more and more about taking data and making sense of it as opposed to, we used to configure it, but now we're automating that. Um, if you've watched technical Tuesday a couple weeks ago with Neil and I, like literally our, our job isn't about configuring as about automating the configuration. And we're doing that because we need all this time to process a lot of data and make sense of it. Um, it's a huge, exciting time. Well, I mean, um, you know,
2: honestly, it's, it, it, it really is shifted, right? I mean, I think in this day and age uh, where and I mean, you know, there are still those executives that feel it is a uh, is a cost, not so much a, a benefit. And that's farthest from the truth now, uh, especially because of business intelligence. You start to realize that technology has enabled you to be faster, uh, more uh, more agile, I guess. And really, I would say cybersecurity in general over the last 10 years has exploded just because all of a sudden, when you had threat actors circa 2000, a lot of them were just out there to make a name for themselves. All of a sudden, organized crime discovered, hey, I can make money at this. I can make lots of money at this. All of a sudden, now everyone's a target. And, you know, like we said in our um, live stream uh, on uh, cybersecurity and pop culture. Everyone's a target now, not just big car- corporations, uh, you know, everyone, you, I, you know, if if they can encrypt our, our data and hold it for ransom, it's just another way for them to make money. And every time that, you know, someone gets infected by uh, uh, crypto ransomware, for example, uh, and they pay for it, I just that just enables the whole situation more and more. Uh, cause it's, it's showing that, you know, they're being successful at it. So
1: that's probably a good segue to start talking about maze, but first, let me just get to a couple of sure. comments sure. here. Uh, there's been a guys really as audience, thank you. Your engagement <laughs> this night has been more than I can keep up with. Um, but, uh, Kyle is that when I said he should teach a course, he's actually t- saying that, uh, there's a vendor trying to get him to build a webinar, um, series, um, Please, when that actually happens, let us know, not only will we plug it, but we want to watch it. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. And Neil uh, basically throws at this great term and I I think you're following on what I was talking about in automation and all that, Uh, you know, uh, industrialized threat hunting is that threat agriculture. Um, (laughs) I think we are planting seeds and um, cultivating and harvesting crops. And the, what people do in the threat intelligence process, which I don't have time to cover does look a lot like harvesting um, because they create a bunch of data and a pipeline and ways to process it. And then they have specialized queries that respond to the needs of whoever the stakeholders are. And at certain periodic times, they go and they harvest it all to make an intelligence product. Um, if you're interested in that kind of concept um this isn't a bad book to start with um so this was actually what got me inspired to take the certified threat intelligence analyst exam um so wilson batista jr has a podcast called devsec lead it's a great um leadership and security issues podcast, but he comes from a military intelligence background. And he had a really difficult transition into the cyber world. And he wrote this book that sort of, for anyone who's coming from the same background as him, he says, okay, well, here's what you know about military intelligence. Um, now, this is what it means to do it in the private world. But then he starts out with this starter chapter, which was the thing that made me start thinking, oh, it's business intelligence, that he didn't. He didn't really say that, but it's in there. And I actually quite, quite like this, uh, this, this particular book. Um, all right. I was going to say, let's, let's talk a little bit about maze. Um, yeah.
2: Uh, not even sure where to start. I mean, I guess kind of where I left off, right. The idea that, you know, um, I think we're fundamentally seeing a shift, uh, of, uh, Organized crime really uh, taking advantage of uh, us, you know this this whole threat landscape, I guess, uh, and and grabbing as much money as they can. Now I know with Maze, that topic's very interesting because now we're starting to see the the guys that you know truly build these these weapons are are you know congregating and and, and sharing well not sharing it but selling it to to basically all the other guys. Uh, you know the, the the average Joe to to run it for really pennies when you when you think about it. Uh, I mean, for example, I could go on to you know onto the dark web, uh, sign up for one of their services, maybe pay a thousand dollars, and you know blast, let's say you know a, a thousand you know emails or whatever have you, depending on whatever you know vector of uh, attack I'm gonna uh, execute. But then all I need is one. I just need to infect one person or one organization. That's gonna pay me ten Bitcoin, and I've you know I've, I've doubled, quadrupled, you know, tenfold my money, uh, all from the comfort of my home, uh, without really you know having to having to do uh, much effort in in terms of uh, you know programming. So uh, I think it's it's telling, uh, yeah, as the articles points out, right? I mean, ran, ransomware gangs are teaming up, right? And uh, it only makes sense. Authors are finding that yeah, this is uh, this is a tight this is a tight um, or it's getting you know crowded, and what better way to still monetize everything and than to sell it to everyone else that can do all the dirty work, so to speak.
1: So, so for those who um, don't follow every little nuance of the news, um, so toward the end of last year, there was a disturbing trend that um, certain uh, ransomware actors had begun to. Um, destroy backups, delete files, and uh, we're also stealing files. And so we had a couple different trends. So some of the ransomware attackers would encrypt the files, but then once you pay, they come back to you and say, well, uh, we didn't just encrypt them. So now you got your decrypted files. You can go back to work. But we took copies, and we're going to leak them until you pay us again. And and other groups of threat actors um, began to destroy the data and then saying, "Look, uh, it ain't encrypted. You got to pay us to get it back." Uh, and those ones would typically use their, you know, they have like a fourteen-day incubation period, like COVID, and they would spend that trying to um, get all the information they could, and then hit you all at once. Get your cloud backups, destroy your backups, destroy your files, um, so that you're really seriously disabled. There's been a greater trend over the as over the last five years is Ransomware became more and more profitable because everyone pays a damn ransom, um, that more and more gangs got into it. Um, they could buy the software pretty cheap and get into business. Some of them, um, would literally have crappy ransomware that they wrote that didn't even encrypt properly. And so you pay, but you can't get your files back, but it cut down on the margins of the threat actors. So there's a lot of competition. And um, what we saw emerge more recently is that the Maze ransomware group is forming a cartel and they're picking and choosing who's going to get a cut of the pie. And that's really scary because Maze was one of the actors in November last year that was extorting people um, with the data. So you pay to get it decoded, then you got to pay again because they're going to leak it Which means today we live in a new world that if you get ransomware, it's no longer an incident, it's a breach. If you get ransomware, you have to assume that they are going to have the data and they're going to leak the data if you don't pay. Um, And to me, as they form these cartels, it's like, well, now this is going to be the modus operandi. Everyone's going to follow suit.
2: And, uh, you know, honestly, uh, as much as it kind of pains me, because, you know, cryptocurrency is a a topic that, you know, I I love that I can talk about for days. But really, when you when you saw, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin in general, I'm going to say cryptocurrency uh, kind of make leaps and bounds. All of a sudden, uh, you know, it was a it was a way for these guys to collect money anonymously. Whereas, uh, you know, before there was roadblocks with uh, PayPal. And even if, you know, there were still gift cards for uh, Apple, there's only so much that you can, you know, you can transact in Apple gift cards uh, before there's, it doesn't really make sense in terms of uh, monetary value. But yeah, when, once Bitcoin hit like $20,000 US a coin, it was like yeah, one Bitcoin and, you know, oof, right. So, yeah.
1: so Kyle's got a, a really great question related to, I think, what I was just saying about these threat actors. And so so what are we missing via intel and controls that allow these attacks? Um, You know, one of the sad things, and I think it's reflected in the Verizon, the trends from the last year and Verizon data breach report is um, um, malware as a threat action is now being put at the end of incidents and breaches. It's there for command and control. Um, Generally speaking, what we used to see as very short, um, stubby sets of threat actions, that is, they didn't take a lot of actions. Um, we now see the use of credentials and um, the attackers. So uh, not explaining this well. Uh, let me talk about the trend starting in February of 2019 in ransomware. It took the FBI until like July to actually reveal what was going on. You probably heard tons of these um, ransomwares that were hitting people really hard. And they all came down to uh, trick box, um, and so and they the the initial attack vector would come usually by like a VB script in a, a Excel file or something. Um, there were other methods as well. Um they'd get some small foothold, they'd live off the land, and they would generally spend on average two weeks inside your system undetected. And the problem is they're no longer using exploits and they're no longer using, Um, uh, malware as their go-to tools because we're good at detecting them. So they live off the land. They use a lot of PowerShell because it's all built in and we don't disable it. We don't monitor it the way we could. And they get a lot of time to do their reconnaissance and they don't exploit you unless they can nail you. Um, My gut is that under COVID and forgive me, because this is a bit of an arrogant um, attitude. I don't really have evidence. It's just my gut. Um, I suspect our threat actors have an opportunity rich environment and the way that this two week incubation periods work for ransomware, they probably have more victims than they can exploit and they will keep coming back, um, because we don't detect them. So in Kyle's question about Intel and controls, well, the attack actors, the attack, uh, the threat actors, I think are, um, being much more objective-based. They're streamlining their um, approach to use um, more generic uh, tools, built-in tools, making things harder to detect. And the fact is we don't, despite the fact that in marketing literature we talked about detect and respond, we don't really focus on monitoring. Um, And that makes, for most organizations it makes us very, very vulnerable. Um, and I'd love, I'd love feedback, please. I, I feel like I'm speaking, um, a little bit more boldly than I should. So school me, school me.
2: No, I, th- I think you're right, Michael. I mean, honestly, uh, it's like we were saying about, you know, COVID it's just, uh, you know, the, the flood is kind of on the horizon or the tsunami is, uh, on the horizon. We're, we're just only seeing the ripples uh, of flooding. So, um, Actually, uh, let's see here. Uh, here's another question from Kyle. Gotta love Kyle, man. He comes up with the greatest questions too. So, I, I mean, you know, as a as an average Joe, what do you do? Well, maybe not even an average Joe, even as a corporation. Um, and I, yeah, like, do you pay at all? And the reality is, uh, yeah, I I'm of a staunch supporter. Do not pay. Ensure that you have very good backups. Very good, you know, offsite backups from a personal standpoint, make sure you're all patched that, uh, you know, if you've got, um, I don't know if they have EDR for personal laptops. I think there are certain vendors that have EDR. I would certainly look at EDR versus EPP, uh, you know, your traditional antivirus. Uh, I'm not saying that that's foolproof or anything like that, but, um, there's a lot of people out there that are running, you know, freebie antivirus thinking it's, uh, it's, it's decent enough to protect for, from this which may be the case, but, you know, I'm going to be a little arrogant and say, you know, what you get for free is what you get for free. Uh, You can't really expect it to do much more than (laughs) what it does when it's free. So um, I don't know how you guys feel about that. Uh, Chris, you care to
1: weigh in?
0: Well, for personal, um, non-enterprise, obviously, uh, Windows 10 has some great built-in features and Microsoft's put a lot of effort into upping their... Um, antivirus, their security uh, profile over the last couple of years. And so even now, I don't know how much you guys have played with it, but built-in Microsoft uh, Windows 10 has built-in ransomware protection with their protected folder systems. And I've been using it on a day-to-day. And it can get a little annoying when you're trying to install certain software or when certain applications want to save things to your documents folder. But Setting up your Microsoft account with OneDrive, with the free OneDrive account and turning on the ransomware protection is a great step where Windows will just step in and say, nope, that's a protected folder. You need to per- you need to authorize that change before it happens. And that's from a personal side.
2: Hmm, okay, that's good. That's a good point. So just curious though, would you pay ransomware?
0: Uh, I would not, but that's because I have completely <laughs> offline backups of everything that's actually important to me. It's it's a lot different when you're an enterprise. And it's like yeah. Michael said, in an enterprise, okay, we take our backups and we move them to the cloud, but the attacker's gotten in. And if they're mm-hmm. in that point, they can find those uh, backups wherever they happen to reside. Unless you're doing your weekly tape to uh, some uh, secure facility offsite, they, that would be the only thing at that point. If it's If it's on the network, they can get to it. Uh, I know Michael wants to stay a little bit away from the technical side, but uh, in response to Kyle's stuff, I think it comes back to uh, his earlier point on MITRE ATT&CK framework. And so with threat intel, there's two parts. One is where do we get it from? And so we spent a lot of time talking about what are our personal favorites? How do we get timely information? How do we synthesize it and get good information? But the second part of threat intel is what do we do with it? And so we can have all the intelligence in the world that says this person's going to come at this time. Here's the method they're going to use, and here's how you can defend against it. But if we don't have our capabilities up to date, if we don't have good cyber hygiene, our good practices within our organization across the entire organization, they will find a way in. And so, uh, with the MITRE ATT&CK framework, it's it comes down to what can you detect because we sans 401 your your gsec basic intro course says prevention's key but detection is a must so if we don't have the ability to detect and what does detect mean okay i'm collecting logs and i'm firing them off to my sim but have i actually taken the time to go through the mitre attack framework and say hey t1129 can i do that myself does my system Ping. When that happens, can I detect when this specific method happens? Okay, perfect. Now I can put that aside and say yes. When that happens, I'm ready. Move on to the next one. And MITRE ATT&CK framework is rather large, so threat intel and getting that timely information of what's happening right now is a great way to prioritize and say this is the attack method de jour. I'm gonna focus and make sure that I can detect that within my organization. That way I can go back to my boss and say, yes, if someone comes in trying to do this attack method, we've tried it on ourselves and I can, I know that I will get an alert that this is happening.
1: Let me um, um, also start with something a little bit technical. Um, and it it speaks to a number of Kyle's comments about um, tools and detection. Um, if you take a look at um, MITRE ATT&CK framework and there's suggestions for detecting um, um, credential misuse, um, persistence and evasion, um, and then you correlate that with a lot of the, these uh, ransomware actors that we're discussing, um, one of the easiest way to detect them is in a type of data that we don't collect except during audit. Um, or in IT and that's state of configuration information. Hmm. So we have vulnerability scanners and some of them do catch misconfigurations. But um, I think that a great SOC use case um, involves capturing um, point in time state information or inventorying state information. So inventory on every endpoint and server uh, all your scheduled tasks, all the services at a point in time, um, uh, all the process IDs at a point in time, and then do long tail analysis on them. And you know what? Um, quite a few of our analytical tools already have agents that start to do that and build them into dashboards. But um, I, I actually believe that it's you know um, broadening from the term away from SIM use case to SOC use case we start to look at saying, well, what are my sources of data? How do I process them to give good information that I can digest into charts, tables, reports, alerts, dashboards? And then how do I use that to get an insight into um, the state of my cybersecurity and decide whether to take action, whether that's threat detection or threat uh, hunting or incident response, forensics, all of those things. We need to put more emphasis on controls monitoring. And that means point in time, state of information, the same thing the auditor would look at once a year. We should look at it every day and we should automate it more. And then like, okay, you want to take a look at the persistence of some of these living off the land things? Oh my God, you can grab that as point in time off every endpoint. And we do actually have a lot of good tools that just aren't in use. There's sysadmin tools like WinRM but you'll, you will see threat hunting um, workshops now that start advocating for that. We just need to put two and two together on the analytics, the reporting, and um, interrogating our systems with sysadmin tools. Um, I'd love if someone would tell me if I'm right or wrong, because this is just an idea that I've been spouting for months. Um, no, no,
2: I mean, I, th- I think there are a lot of great ideas. Like, I mean, you know, when you did your tech Tuesday on uh, containerization of uh, windows apps, I was like, Hmm, I like that. Uh, you know, and that really is, I think the future, right. Uh, if you want to call it micro segmentation, but it is segment se- segmenting your apps from uh, the operating system itself. Right. So,
1: yeah. Neil's pointing out that, you know, Hey, uh, in a modern DevOps yeah, environment, yeah, that's yeah. part of it. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, what got me thinking about a lot of these things mm-hmm. is looking across um not professions but across sections of professions what's trending in devops what's trending in devsecops what's trending in business intelligence what's trending in threat hunting we're all sharing techniques um and then where could we do better at monitoring we, we need to just cross contaminate a little bit of our um what each of these incredible fields is doing. I don't know how to I don't know how to do it. I, I my own personal approach right now is um, is to document them as use cases. But
2: for sure. So let's see Kyle asked uh, so if the attacker life cycle is longer and ransomware is an action on objective phase, what is the mean time to detection trends? Are these actors maintaining footholds longer nowadays? Um Oh man, I don't even know how so to answer that.
1: <laughs> in in the ransomware examples I gave, um, they're using uh, they're revealing themselves uh, on average two weeks in. Um, it's I think it's unclear that whether they <clears throat> excuse me unclear whether they stay persistent longer, and I don't think they do like we see with espionage actors. Um, but they try to stay undetected until they take action on object uh, on objectives. And when they do, they do, they action when they're, when they have a very complete chance of success, which is a little bit scary. It's sort of like, um, okay. So maybe they're there for a week or three weeks until they get domain admin, find your cloud backups get into your Azure admin account, have complete access, and then they act at once and you're devastated. You know, all of our standard methodologies, oh, we'll do incident response. <laughs> we'll do an analysis. We'll contain the threat. We will eradicate threat and then we'll recover from the threat. Oh, dear God. No, it's straight to panic. <laughs> um, and so I don't think they need to like super persist like we see with espionage actors. They, But they you know, if you consider the trend, say, five years ago for sort of smash and grab financially motivated attacks. um, There, there's sort of like a blending of the espionage approach and the smash and grab overlapping to for devastating effect. I don't know if that answers the question. But that's my thought. I don't know you guys. Evolved. Yeah,
2: no I mean and you kind of he kind of says it right here right like I mean you know the detection tools aren't keep, keeping up with uh, new attacker techniques either right so I mean I think you know it, it, it this is like a if you want to call it a space race or a cold war it's like one is trying to outdo the other right and you know these attackers are, are coming up with ingenious new ways to 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 stay ahead of the game so to speak
1: right so um, well in in some ways our tools um... Are specialized to do really advanced things. So you, you know, I, I'm not I'm not down on tools. Um, they look for exploitation, and those are getting pretty good. But mm-hmm. then the attackers have shifted and said, um, and if you haven't heard of the tool, lo- the the phrase lolbin, living off the land binaries, they're like, yeah, oh, they're going to detect Mimicats. Um, they're going to detect my exploitation. They're going to detect me injecting into LASS. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I'm going to call PowerShell 1. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. leverage an existing DLL. I'm going to um, schedule my tasks. And it's like, these. now we, we're at the harder um, point of no longer detecting um, just an indicator, like a pattern of malware, like a signature for a piece of malware or an IP. Now we're even going beyond detecting exploitation techniques, which are challenging. Now it's sort of like, Oh my God, they look like regular users. (laughs) Well, Um,
2: and that's, yeah, that's, that's definitely problematic. Though uh, you have to understand
1: that all these built-in tools are very rarely used, which is why I advocate for capturing point in time information Mm -hmm. about the state of the system, because, um, and there, there, you know, in the newer Windows systems, you can, you can monitor all PowerShell stuff pretty damn good. And who is sh- who should even be running PowerShell, really?
2: That's a good point, right? Unless you're a sysadmin, you know, there's really not a reason to be running PowerShell. So. And
1: when when do users ever create scheduled tasks? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sorry, Chris, go right?
0: Ahead. Uh, so I just know firsthand um, there following twitter somebody likes to live tweet uh, their pen tests and they specifically got caught because they were at someone in accounting's workstation and they use powershell and the sock caught them within minutes because they know no one in accounting ever runs powershell I, I i think it comes back to a little quote from our favorite uh, infosec writer sun tzu uh, if you know the enemy and you know yourself you need not fear the results of a hundred battles yeah. It, it comes down to we need to know our enemies, so that's why we're doing threat intel. But mm-hmm. if we don't know ourselves, then the intel from our enemies no is
2: not useful to us. You know, that's my favorite. That's my favorite rule from Sun Tzu. That that particular rule I love, right? Because uh, you know, it, and it's true. If you don't understand, you know, how your organization runs in, internally, what, what what good are you to try and protect it? Really, I mean, you're going to lose no matter what we want to look at it. Right? So, I agree.
1: Know your know your user bins and know your law bins.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, let's see. Uh, Neil asked about uh, let's see how can we measure mean time to detection trends broadly. Actually, Kyle, Kyle answered it, and he said, "Yeah, it's usually in the in the Ver- Verizon reports." So,
1: yeah, That's the probably. Verizon report does a fairly good job at tackling that from a few different perspectives. Yeah. Um, and I'm and I'm not. I can't think of off the top of my head of anyone else who does that really well. So they Ponemon has a lot of reports and they tend to try to do these quantifiable metrics. I think sometimes they overstate, um, the significance of their, their measures for the sake of trying to be quantitative where Verizon no longer, they don't, they don't shy away from saying, well, these are subjective and there's some problems with our data gathering, but they do tell a story and meantime the detection is a good one there. Um,
0: i'm a jack daniels fanboy and he says friends don't let friends read ponemon
1: yeah (laughs) it's very easy to be a grump (laughs) Um, there there is value in in all reports as a librarian I, i i don't think there's bad information there's just bad ways of synthesizing it categorizing it cataloging it and um, putting it to good use.
0: Right, you have to be able to do the analysis yourself of the report.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, so, um,
2: okay, so another comment from Kyle, and the reason why I posted this was because uh, I was gonna actually mention this. Uh, so how, how I was saying, you know, a couple of years ago, the trend was SIM, SIM, SIM. Now all of a sudden, you know, it's shifted to source or sort, because it's like, I've got a SIM, I'm collecting the data, but now I need to build a playbook so I can automate some of this, right? So yeah, I, it, it's very true that, you know, that, that is one of the ways that I think, you know, organizations are shifting to try and stay ahead of that curve. Right. So, because let's face it, it's like Chris said, I mean, most organizations, you're going to have a threat hunter, but you're only going to have one, maybe two if you're lucky. Uh, But, you know, that's probably not going to be sufficient enough Uh, doing, doing threat hunting manually and then doing uh, remediation manually. Right. So,
1: um, so every report I've read says that, um, people who adopt SOAR are having the same experience that people did 10 years ago with Sim, <laughs> which is they buy it. They think it's going to be wonderful and they realize they need a whole oh, team yeah, and that there's more work to get the tool to do the thing. So yeah. no one notes that this is the future, yeah. but, um, it's really unclear how to be successful with it yet. I'm, I love the idea. I love automation. Yeah. I love the, orchestration is a totally different concept that's very important. Um, All I can say is if you haven't started, uh, if you're a sysadmin of the old school, um, which many of us are, and you haven't started to learn to code, pick your Uh, moment and jump on board. Learn some um, Python. Python. I
2: don't don't care what language you pick.
1: Pick one. Uh, It's not going to hurt you. Bash, PowerShell, Python. Yeah. my 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 good buddy Nathan um, turned me around and got me convinced that I've been missing PowerShell my whole life. <laughs> um, and I man, I'm such a you fan. Know,
2: yeah. the, the, this is the problem with PowerShell, right? When when it first started, it it was okay. It was it, you know it was like Microsoft going down the right path, and then they kind of pivoted and started changing things, right? And it's like you know it went kind of went from like commandlets to now this. And then you know they keep changing it and that's i think that's some of the struggle whereas in bash is bash i mean you know your standard linux unix commands are are fundamentally don't change although i freaking hate that ip command from linux now instead of if config anyways i've learned i've
1: learned learned to love it it took me a long time to get over because um, (laughs) i'm Um, Unix from like 1992 and onward.
2: Oh yeah, same here, man, dude. Uh, sun OS, man. It even says in our intro video, Sun OS. So,
1: <laughs> um, PowerShell. You're you're right. You know, I've because of SANS training, um, trained and retrained on PowerShell and IP six over and over and over and over and over and only finally started to use them both. And you know what? PowerShell five and onward. It's the great time to jump on the train.
2: Oh yeah, no, I mean, uh, and like I said, I, I I'm just talking about you know in the early days, like it was kind of like you know they, maybe they released it too soon or they just shifted too quickly, rather than letting it soak in and you know letting people understand, get used to it, then start changing it slowly. They just like literally, you can see a difference between like what is it in 2008, Windows 2008 versus Windows 2008 R2. Like there was a huge shift in PowerShell and, and the way it worked even back then. So and then it just kept changing and you know what? I'm just gonna keep ranting because I have this thing about Microsoft Exchange at the moment and how <laughs> like fundamentally messed up it is right now. So anyways, I, I'm just gonna stop before I, I go off on a tangent. So <laughs> anyways, uh, so I, I don't know, uh, Michael. Uh, what do you what do you feel like? Uh, should, good time to stop here? Or... Yeah, I think
1: it's a, it's a great okay. wrap up because we're just gonna. Okay we're going to yeah. ramble on and on and on and um, yeah. that's best. Don't, give me, don't,
2: don't get me wrong. I want Chris to kind of add, add a few <laughs> more cents to it. Maybe give him like five minutes, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, if yeah. I don't know if he wants to. Uh,
0: I have one link. So again, Twitter is uh, the great equalizer for me and everything I get is through Twitter. So here is a GitHub repository of threat hunting feeds and i just post that into the youtube chat so if you don't know where to start or you want to check out a dozen of them and see what's relevant to you uh, github is literally just a huge list that's been uh, accumulated by other people of here's where to get your intel from
2: awesome awesome awesome
1: um i should also point out uh, to everyone who's watching if you didn't catch from the beginning um we actually have a channel within our discord server where we uh, it's probably the most active thing. We have some channels for news items, which is actually where we get all the discussion for this um, live stream and on tools and resources. Uh, please feel free to join, um, share your ideas, uh, joining the discussion. It's been quite lively this week and I'm quite enjoying um, learning um, from everyone else else's there. Um, Alec is just, um, wow. Um, yeah. He he, he
2: couldn't, he couldn't make it today. And uh, yeah, our thoughts are out to you, dude, uh, if you're watching this. So yeah, he's got,
1: he's got some pretty unique stuff that he's sharing. I really quite like, um,
2: but anyways, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to do my uh, little spiel here. So, uh, if you like the video, please hit the like button, help others find it. And if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. And I want to, I want to say thanks to Chris for coming on board, uh, today.
0: Thanks for having Um, me guys. It's been great.
2: Definitely appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to. Uh, I know you've got kids too, so I, I know sometimes it's hard. We shipped we, them off to the grandparents tonight. Oh, see, there you go. Even better. And then you spent your free time with us. So uh, we, we, we love it. We love it. We appreciate it. So
1: we made the same choice. So we completely understand.
2: Speak <laughs> <laughs> for yourselves. I'm bored. This is Thursday.
1: <laughs> Anyways. All right. Thanks, peeps. Everyone, thank you so much for showing up. Um, I'm totally blanking on what we're doing next week, but we're taking a break very soon. Um, uh, and very soon we'll have some way to keep everyone up to date and notified as to the forward schedule, still working on getting that done. Um, not really satisfied with the way everyone's getting notified. Uh, but thank you so much for watching, please add all your comments, put your uh, comments below either in uh, on this video, or in the discord chat. Uh, I think this is a conversation we want to continue. And we're actually thinking about taking this threat intel discussion, and just making it a regular thing of its own. If you like that idea, and you really like um, this, please let us know. Because if you like it, we'll do it. All right, and here is the outro music.